you, sir. Good morning. Death couldn't hold him down. A good way to end the song. I'm uh, thankful for um, the Lord allowing us to experience 2020, but I, a lot of us are excited to experience 2021, right? We say that now, right? Everybody's, everybody's saying, all right, 2020, about three months in. I'm uh, so thankful that, again, he's allowed us to be here during this season. You know, I've talked about that before, that um, if it's hard and difficult and, and uh, in our eyes, then, of course, God's got a purpose for us living right now during this season. And, uh, man, we've got to redeem the time. As scripture says, uh, the days are evil. I uh, believe we're living in the last days. And uh, maybe, uh, as some are saying, going into the, the last hour of the last days. And we have an opportunity as the church uh, to be the church, the light, to be the salt. And I, my prayer this year is that there will be a revival in this place, in the church, the Lord's church. And that we will have, and revival means a brokenness over sin a burden for the lost, and a passion to share the gospel. And we've got to do that. That's why we're here. And so we've got to be adamant. We've got to be passionate about uh, being about the Lord's business. And uh, it's not about uh, a club. It's not about comfort. It's about a mission. And I pray that we are on that mission with more passion in 2021 than we ever have before. I want to encourage you and challenge you right off the bat. If you're not burdened for lost souls, if you just kind of go about your day, if you just kind of live your life and do your job and do those things, and you, you can identify that you don't have a sincere burden for the lost, I'm going to challenge you to pray this morning before you leave here. God, break my heart for the lost. Give me a burden for souls. Let me see souls like you see souls. And give me a passion to share the gospel with them. Uh, because you never know. This Again, we may be in that last hour, that final leg of the race. And uh, we have this privilege and this honor and uh, the responsibility uh, to be the church during this time. That's why I'm excited that we're going through this study. God has us going through this study during this time, and uh, I'm, I'm excited for that. But before we get into the message this morning, uh, we've got some exciting stuff going on today. Uh, we're going to share some of that at the beginning. We're going to share some at the end. And so uh, each year at the beginning of the year, uh, I like to recognize and show our appreciation to our deacons uh, because they serve our church. And uh, in the last uh, year, I guess, or, or yeah, a little over a year, uh, we've had to uh, re-envision and, and restructure our deacon ministry in many ways uh, to make sure that we're still, uh, still reaching and ministering and serving uh, our church family and uh, with different service times and different structures. Uh, they've had to really uh, come together and, and figure out how that's going to best be accomplished. And they have, and, and we're running with that. And, and so I'm excited to see what God does in the future. Um, but I'm, I'm just so thankful for these men and their wives, their families. I'm going to ask the guys to come up on stage at this time so that way you can see who is in our deacon ministry. So you guys go ahead and come on up. And we just want to uh, show our appreciation as a church to them. They don't like to be recognized or brought up on stage, but we're going to do it anyways. So some of you, uh, we have new members and, and some maybe have missed in the past before. 
where we've recognized our, our deacons. Um, so we're just going to identify them, and then uh, you'll know who they are. Uh, so right off the bat here is Justin Apple. He is the chairman of our deacons, and he has been doing that now for a few years, a couple years. And uh, that's good that we don't know the exact time. <laughs> um, but uh, he's uh, just great heart, great leadership, leadership of this ministry. And, uh, oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to give them just a small gift of appreciation as I announce uh, their names. Next is Gary Sutton. Uh, he needs no introduction. Many of you already know. No. <laughs> Gary is not only a deacon, but he's also our uh, missions director. And uh, he and his wife, again, great, great job. Great, uh, greatly appreciate them. Next is uh, Patrick Huffman. And he is a yoke fellow. He's in our uh, deacon ministry, newly minted. And uh, he is uh, learning what it is to be a deacon. And uh, they already are showing just um, a great heart to serve. And they've, they've had that. That's why they were uh, asked to do that. So, so excited to see what God continues to do in and through them. Next is Sean Densmore. He is the uh, oldest, not the oldest member, but the uh, oldest deacon, the uh, longest tenured deacon, I'm sorry. And uh, why, are you, why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> it's my brother, and uh, he uh, does a great job. He and Michelle and their kids have been in this church for a long, long time and have served in this ministry for a long time. And they do a great job, have a great heart for serving people. And last of all is Brother Bobby Carr, and uh, he and his wife, uh, Kim, they have been in the deacon ministry for many, many years as well. And again, they, they'll just drop anything to help you and to serve. And that's how they serve in this ministry. And uh, uh, he also is a, a pretty decent uh, barbecue pit master. But now he does a great job. So thankful for these, uh, these men and their wives, their families. And uh, I just, again, want to take the opportunity for us to say thank you to them. And so let's do that now. Amen. Let's tell them thank you. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate them so much. They, um, they do a lot to serve the physical needs of the body and enable myself and the other elders and, and uh, ministers to, to serve in, in the way that God has called us to serve. And so excited about that. I, I, another exciting thing this morning that we'll share at the end is we have a family that went through our new members class, and uh, we're going to announce them at the end of the service as official members, and so we want to uh, share that, and then one other exciting news at the end, so you got to stay awake. Somebody said, somebody said they brought in a game today. Who was that? No, no, I'm just <laughs> Anyways, that's uh, some, uh, let's get back on task. <laughs> Acts chapter 5, <laughs> Acts chapter 5. So, uh, in our study, we left off last week this uh, couple who evidently was seeking vain glory, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, and uh, what was going on in the church is people were selling possessions, selling lands, and bringing the proceeds and laying at the apostles' feet. The Bible says that they were distributing that as there was needs in the church. Of course, uh, the needs in the church uh, reached to outside of the church because they know God was reaching people, and uh, people were getting saved and added to the church. We're going to see that again today. But this is a time that the Holy Spirit it was evident. Scripture says 
had filled the believers there. The, the, the Spirit's presence and power was active, and God was getting all the glory, not man. And uh, so this glory-hounding couple marches in, maybe presumptuously, and thinking that they're going to uh, you know, pull the wool over man's eyes. And God reveals in this instant that he's not going to share his glory with anybody. And that this is his blood-bought church. It's his and his alone. His glory is his alone. It's his church alone. And again, he's blessed us with the opportunity to be a part of the church, to serve in the church. And we've got to be careful to have that godly fear, to have that reverence as a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he's blessed us with this opportunity, he's blessed us with, with help, and specifically here in America, the opportunities that he's blessed us with, we should not hold back our efforts for his kingdom. There should be nothing that keeps us back from giving our all for the kingdom of God. He's, he's blessed us with so many things on top of that. He's blessed us with the abilities to work. Again, in a, in a country, in a nation, it's so blessed to be able to work in. We should not be so saturated and so consumed with that that we hold back anything for the work of the kingdom. With that, he's also enabled us to have money in this world, the world revolving around commerce, wages that we receive for the work that we do to purchase food, water, shelter, but also to be able to give to others, to be able to share with others. Again, we should not hold back any of the treasure that God has blessed us with for his kingdom. Jesus said that no man can serve two masters. We've talked about this along the way. And again, talking about this couple who decided to sell this piece of land and then hold back a portion and try to lie to the Lord. And so we understand that while Jesus taught this, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. That includes the God of self. You can't serve anyone or anything and God at the same time. Why would God, and I've asked this question before, why would he contrast himself with money in Scripture? Why not God and something else? Why not God and your family? Why not God, again, God could have contrasted that. Jesus could have contrasted, you can't serve God and blank. But he said, you can't serve God and money. As I said a while ago, because we live in a consumer-driven society, I believe one of the reasons why God put that out there is he, he knew, of course, that man's tendency is to begin to worship the blessing and not the blesser. To be able to, man's tendency in the flesh and in the world becoming uh, carnal-minded and, and all those things, we would, we would go after the things that we have, pursue those things, and begin living for the blessings and not the one who blessed us. And what happens when we do that is we begin to rely on the blessings, right? We rely on our job and our money. We rely on the possessions that we have. We rely on the stuff, the things. And then our worship, the things that we bow down to and worship being one of the key words in worship is serving begin to serve the things that God has blessed us with. We need to know as we go into this new year, when we rise or fall spiritually based on our blessings, something is terribly wrong. Something's terribly wrong. And Job went through the, the ringer and he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So whether it's recognition or glory or stuff or money or respect or admiration of others, 
as the preacher said in Ecclesiastes, it's all vanity in this world. The one whose value is above any temporal element is the one that we should revolve our everything around. And again, as we are approaching this new year, I, I pray that you would pray for a revival in your own life. That you wouldn't say we need a revival in America before you pray for a revival in your own heart. That's where it's going to start. Ananias and Sapphira got the wrong take on the Lord. They, they approached the church. They approached Jesus, his church, the wrong way. Again, they assumed that they could give part and God wouldn't care. Maybe, as we said last week, it was because they thought the big portion that they were giving, maybe they sold a bigger portion of land or maybe they got more money and they bring in more money than they had seen anybody else bring. And so maybe they thought, well, it's about the value. It's about how much we give compared to what other people give. And we learn that God is an absolute God. I've said it hundreds of times maybe. He wants our absolute all and he wants our absolute best. And he deserves that. There should be no, no time in our life that we begin to negotiate what we offer to God. We should give, we should serve, we should do, we should, all those things should come from a heart of sincerity, giving our all. I think it's a reasonable ex, uh, expectation, seeing that he gave his all for us so that we would have the greatest gift, the gift of eternal life, a relationship with him forever. Paul said this, being a living sacrifice was our reasonable service, living sacrifice. But with this death of Ananias and Sapphira here in this church, this holy dread, this fear of God, this, this reverence fell over this early church. The Bible says that those who were in Jerusalem, those around, heard this. And fear, reverence, respect fell upon everybody who heard what was going on in the church. And so, again, it just didn't happen inside the church, but the fear of God was permeating that community around them. And we talked about that last week, that that's what should happen in this place, in this church. We should so fear, we should so reverence, we should so respect and live our lives in that way that those around us, those in this community, those that we encounter, begin to have a reverence for God because of our reverence for God. Because the power of the Lord working in us, the Holy Spirit working through us. And so as we continue on this morning, we see in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says that many signs and wonders were done among the people, regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you again for all that you do. And Lord, we are just um, humbled and grateful that you allow us to uh, call on your name, to worship you, uh, to be your people, uh, to gather in this place freely to serve you, to bear the light of the gospel to the nations. Lord, we, again, are just so humble and grateful for this, Lord. We ask that right now that your spirit would continue to move in this place and be glorified, that you would be exalted above all, that your word would go forth and it would accomplish what you intended to accomplish. And we will respond, that we will have ears to hear, Lord, and, and, and obey what we have uh, in this message today. 
Lord, if there's somebody that's watching online, somebody that's here in this place that doesn't have a sincere, an authentic, a real personal relationship with you through faith in Christ alone. Lord, there's somebody here maybe that has never turned away from sin, to being slaves to sin, trusting in Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead alone, trusting Christ alone to save them. If they've never surrendered their all, their life to you, I pray that before they leave today, they'll do that. God, we know that's the only way uh, to you is through Jesus Christ. I pray that no one leaves here thinking that coming to church or being a good person or being religious or saying a prayer is going to take them to heaven. Lord, show them today that it's only through faith alone in Christ alone. And uh, Lord, we ask that you'll just move in this place and stir our hearts, start a revival in each person today and in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see in verse 12 this unity of mind and this unity of spirit that we've talked about already. And um, a question that comes to my mind is, how, how was it that this church obtained and maintained this one accord that we talked about uh, before, that we've already seen, this harmony? And as the Greek word uh, describes, like a, like a symphony. All of these different parts, all of these different members, all of these different people together in perfect harmony, in perfect sync. How, how are they maintaining this? How are they keeping this? And we've seen it again. They were together. That's key. One of the things, they were actually physically together. But they were together, not just being a social group, not just gathering around and sharing what was going on, which is fine. You know, hey, I like this going on. I'm interested in this. All those things are fine as part of fellowshipping. But their main focus was Jesus Christ. Their main focus was the work of God, of being the church, ministering to one another, using their gifts, being, uh, the, the, being edified and the Lord being glorified. They were praying. Of course, they were witnessing, sharing the gospel, preaching was going on. They were helping and serving and fellowshipping, preaching, sound doctrine was going out. Again, all of these things they were doing together. That's why one of the, 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 the major, there's a lot of major flaws with, with the mindset and the philosophy that people have adopted that, well, we are the church and I can, I can be the church anywhere. I don't have to be in this building. Well, you can't be the church by yourself. The Lord, it's his church and everything about the church is about the collective, with Christ being the head of the body of Christ. It's about him. It's about the collective. And so, again, these people were together, and this is what God was doing as they were together. Many contend that with the nature of the culture of that day, that they were afforded this. Well, of course they could do that. You know, they didn't have to worry about what we have to worry about today. So they could go to the temple, and they could spend all day there if they wanted to. They could be in the temple all day, every day, and it wouldn't affect their lives. But if we tried to come to church every day, all day, we would lose our jobs, we would lose our houses, we would lose all those things. Well, I contend that's not what was going on. It says that they were daily in the temple. But they still had their homes. They all didn't just move into the temple. They still had food to, to purchase. They still had things that they had to tend to. But... Something was different about this first church. They made a choice. They made a decision. No one forced them. No one was trying to tell them, well, you have to go to the temple. You have to go to the church service. You have to. No one was forcing them to do that. I believe based on Scripture that they had a desire to gather together. 
There was something that was burning inside of them to be together. So much so that they were together every day. Every day they were, they were together. They couldn't, they couldn't stay away. They, maybe they went to their jobs and then as soon as they could, they got to the church to, to tell and encourage the church family who they got to witness to that day as they were in the marketplace or whatever, who they invited to the temple or whatever. Again, they were making the choice and they made the choice to participate and not to walk away. They, they had a, an opportunity, a choice to grab hold of the vision or to get packing. They, they, they had the options before them. No one was twisting their arms. No one was making them. And yet the Bible says they were in one accord. They were together. They were in harmony. They were in unity. And in that unity, in that harmony, in that togetherness, there was a great power. The hand of God was moving. And he was radically changing people's lives through that church, that togetherness of that church. And he, as, the, as people were being added, he was continually knitting the hearts of the people together for his purpose and his, his glory. And so point number one this morning I think is so vital for us to get from this first church because we see it yet again is that they were together, they were in one accord. Is that spiritual unity comes from a spiritual desire, but it also comes from a, a spiritual decision to be together. There's not going to be the kind of unity that produces the power that we see in the first church, in the church in 2021, if we as the people, the, the people of God, the church, if we don't have the desire and the decision to be together. It, it's not just about coming here at this place on Sundays and, and hearing the same message. This is part of it because what's happening right now, we're all hearing the same thing. We're all reading the same thing. We're all, all being exhorted and possibly challenged or convicted with the same thing as a church. So this is part of the togetherness and the unifying that God does in the church. But there's other thing that, things that go on. There's the fellowship and the conversations and the prayer and the things outside of this time right now that have to go on in the church in order for us to be able to encourage one another and edify one another and serve one another and pray with one another and do all the things that the first church was doing. But it boils down to a desire to do that. If you have a struggle, if there's a, a battle with desiring to gather like this or desiring to be in a, in a smaller group where you can connect and serve and edify and, and, and do those things like our adult connect groups, if there's, if there's a struggle with that desire or, or the decision to do that, I want to challenge you today, evaluate what has your desire. Evaluate is what, what is driving the passion inside of you. What is your passion? Is it your hobby? Is it your job? Is it your money? Is it your stuff? Is it your family? And there's okay to, it's okay to have passions about things, but nothing in this world, nothing should trump the passion that we have for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This desire, this uni unity that we see, no doubt was rooted in a real, genuine, sincere, life-altering relationship with Jesus Christ. They all had it. it. It was sincere, it was real. Their lives were transformed. They were all together in this place. It forged their lives together. It was the eternal common factor for all of them. It didn't matter if they were rich or poor, if they had lots of lands or no land. None of that stuff mattered. What mattered, what forged their lives together was that Jesus Christ had changed their lives. He was their Lord and their Savior and the head of that church. 
It's cemented their, their, their purpose and their passion. Their, the eternal mission that God had given them, it, it put it in each, each one of them. And in history, and our study will go to show that nothing would stop their togetherness. Nothing would stop their unity. Now we'll see what, what persecution does, but it doesn't, just because there's persecution and, and the church gets scattered didn't mean that the unity wasn't there. Or didn't remain or didn't go on. Look at the next verse in verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them high esteem. Again, the Bible says in verse 12, we saw that the apostles uh, were used by God in this apostolic age of this early church to do these signs and wonders. Remember, Jesus Christ was here doing the signs and wonders, revealing that it was the hand of God, that he was God in the flesh. And then he was, he was crucified, he rose again, he ascended, and he gave that power to his apostles. Those apostles in this first church continued to perform miracles, showing that they were the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a, a distinction with them. There was a, a uniqueness with them. And the Bible says in verse 13 that the rest of the church didn't join themselves too, but the people held them and high esteem. So the, the leaders of this first church, the apostles, were being faithful to being there, of course. They had to be there. Can you imagine if the apostles didn't show up? Can you imagine if, if the pastor, if you got here today and, 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 and we went through the music service and then, and then it came time for the preaching and I was nowhere to be found or no preacher came to the pulpit. That would be a major failure of leadership. So why are we here? We just came to sing? Well, where's the preacher? Where's the pastor? Where's the, again, the leaders were there. The leaders were faithful to do what God had called them to do and instilled them to do, installed them to do. And the church, the body, was there together, all in, and there was this common respect given to those apostles, those leaders. I imagine that the Lord's righteousness, his power, his seriousness, was clearly displayed through that incident of Ananias and Sapphira. It got the attention of all the church there. And, and, and again, fear went outside of the church. I, I, I can imagine that there was a, a great seriousness that fell over them. Maybe the incident with Ananias and Sapphira, maybe there was this common thought. And that's why Ananias and Sapphira went to Peter and expected Peter to just roll with their story. Maybe the common thought was this with some of the people. Oh, it's just old Pete. Oh, Pete, you know, he's up there, and people are just bringing their offerings up there. It's just Pete. Hey, Pete, you know, we got, we got an offering too. Peter's not going to know. He used to be one of the best liars ever. Remember the story about him lying three times at Christ? I mean, bold-faced lies. That would be a wrong estimation if that was their thought. Because while Peter was a liar and Peter was a man, just a man. Peter was prone to failure, and Peter would make mistakes. Eventually, the Apostle Paul would even call him out. I mean, there were, there's so many different things that we talk about. Peter's humanity and his, 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 his prone, uh, his battle in the flesh, I mean, just like we all still have. It would be a wrong estimation to approach him like that because these men were called and installed by God Almighty. They were not special in and of themselves. It wasn't that Peter was this amazingly talented or amazingly unique individual in himself, 
having all of these qualities, and that's why God used him like that. They were absolutely just common men. Exactly what we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 last week, that God uses the base things and the weak things. There's not many noble that are called. God uses those things so that the wise are confounded, so that he alone gets the glory. They were men that God had chosen. And so the church understood this is what was going on. God had chose them, had installed them, and these, were, these vessels were to be respected as that, as vessels of God's choosing, of God's ordination. What does that mean? That means it's still all about God. It's all about Him. If He uses a man, or if He uses a woman, or if He uses a child, it should still be respected because it's God doing the work. That's what should be respected. That's how it should be respected. Is it's God. The authority is all given by God. The glory is all for God. As we saw, we, we can either yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness to God, but we shouldn't yield ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness again to sin. We can either be in the great house, we can either be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. But it's still God doing the work, God doing the using. Number two this morning, our point is submission to and respect for the church leaders is a submission to and respect for God and his design. So when this first church gave reverence and respected and submitted to the leadership there then, they knew that Peter used to be a liar. They, they knew that, that, that Peter bailed. They knew that uh, there, there were other failures and, and, and faults and there was weaknesses and all those things. But they realized and recognized and submitted to and respected that God had put these people in place so that God would be glorified and God's program and work would go on. His mission. And Paul understood this, and that's why he wrote what he did to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Follow me as I follow Christ, or more specifically, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So as I'm trying to strive after Christ, Paul says, then you need to follow that leadership. Do the same thing in your life. Pursue after Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he's writing to the Thessalonian believers who by the way, we're dealing with a lot of persecution. We're struggling with some things themselves. And he writes this thing to them. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect to those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. We ask you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And be at peace among yourselves. It's important to have this, this respect for leadership, for, for God's ordination of leadership. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hebrews 13, verse 17, a few verses later, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And so live your life in such a way, basically, that they are able to do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And in verse 18, he says, and pray for us, pray for your leaders, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Listen, if the Lord blesses, uses, and ordains work, which he does, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that the thief still no longer, rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so they may have something to share with anyone in need. Again, we are supposed to be able to uh, give to the Lord. The first fruits of all our increase is supposed to get, uh, live in such a way that we can be a blessing to other people and give to other people. 
All those things are true. So work is something that God blesses and uses. He also blesses and uses leadership. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And so for the home even, of course he does for the home. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, wives submit, your, uh, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Before that, he said, let everyone submit yourselves to one another. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Again, God blesses and uses that respect that reverence in the home. He does it again in the job. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So I don't like my boss. <laughs> obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Colossians chapter 3. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Again, the governing authorities in Romans chapter 13, and again, as we saw in the church in Hebrews chapter 13, obey your leaders and submit to them. If God uses and blesses all of this, then it requires a sincere response of obedience from his people. If God says, this is what I chose, this is what I bless, then it's our job to say, yes, Lord. The only time it's appropriate to disregard, to disrespect, to, not disrespect, I'm sorry, disobey, and maybe it would be viewed as disrespect. To not follow is when any leadership takes you away from truth, from being in the will of God. Again, when we submit and follow leadership that God has set up, we're honoring and reverencing God and his design. So look what happens when the people begin to have this reverence for the Lord, for the things of God, for the leadership that God has installed in verse 14 of chapter 5. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So it seems as, as, as the closer the church got, the more unified it was, the, the more faithful the, the leadership was to lead and more faithful the, the, the church was to, to follow, the more dedicated and devoted to Christ and his mission they were, God used that unified, willing, obedient church to add believers more than ever up to this point in time. Now remember, there, there's been thousands of people added, 3,000 in one day. I mean, there have there, been thousands and multitudes of believers already added to this church. And now it's saying that when the church was at this place, with fear there, with the Spirit of God filling, with them being unified, harmonious, with them being submitted to leadership, when they were in this place that God added to the church more than ever, multitudes of people. And so number three is this this morning, respecting, submitting, following leadership is essential to, uh, to all three, unity, power, and abundant fruit. Listen, there are way smarter, more talented people that could pastor churches in this world, especially this one. There are way more creative people that could. But God ordains specific people for a specific purpose at a specific time. And when he does this, it's every leader's responsibility 
to seek the Lord and to lead the way the Lord is leading them. To direct the Lord's church, to direct the people in a direction that's in line with God's word. It's the church's responsibility. Not just to go through the motions, not to just show up at church services, but to wholeheartedly not only gain and grasp what the direction is and the mission is, but to own it. To own it as one body, together, unified, and help carry out that direction, that mission, that vision with all their heart. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Chapter 3, same when we read it a while ago, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. So it's in, in the world, see yourself as a minister of the Lord, as a, as a servant of God, as a member of this body. You, be on task, be on, in direction, be on mission. And do it for the glory of God, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. I promise you this. You, if you not already have had it many times before, you will likely have a thought, an idea, a plan that's better than what you see here in this church. There have been several things that we've done that people have absolutely loved. And there are several things that people have not loved about what we do or what we have done. But I want to encourage you with this. Remember this. The leaders and I, specifically I, will stand and give an account on how this church body is led. Stand before the Lord. Those who are teaching scripture, those who are in responsibility of, uh, of doing that, have a stricter account, a stricter judgment waiting. James chapter 3 says, be not many masters, or not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. There's a greater, heavier account waiting ahead. And it's not taken lightly here. Luke chapter 12, but the one who did, who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging received but a few. From, for everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask the more. I know what it's talking about there, but it's still a principle of stewardship and responsibility. Leaders are given a responsibility uh, to lead and will be held in account for that. From deacons to adult connect group leaders to children's ministry leaders to worship leaders to, to pastors. Every person in a place of authority will be held in account for that measure they've been given. And each church member will be held in account on how they follow and submit and serve. Think about that. Each member will give an account on how you followed, how you served, how you gave, how you loved, how you submitted, how you supported, how you were invested wholeheartedly. You know, on successful teams, uh, right now is the, the weird bowl season in college football, and I like college football. And um, you see on most successful teams, it's not always the most talented team. Now, there probably are some exceptions, but even on talented teams, Usually the most successful out of all of those, you can find a commonality there, a common denominator, a common factor there. And you know what that is? Usually an unsurpassed chemistry, a unity, 
a togetherness, a dedication, a sacrifice, this level of buy-in, this all-inness that is above the rest. And when we have resurrection power in us, when we have the unmatched power of the Holy Spirit filling every member, there should be no reason other than us getting in the way that the same thing isn't said about this church today. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So if we say, you know what, we're going to do this, X, Y, and Z. If this X, Y, and Z is, is biblical, the church, every member should in unity embrace, submit, and run with this, whatever it is. Every member. If it's unbiblical, you should approach it the right way. You should, you, should, you should say something. Hey, I'm concerned about this. I think this is, the scripture says this. Approach it the right way. But if you say this, well, I don't like this, X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to do this, A, B, C. Then please listen. If that's you, you are hindering the unity, the power, and the abundant fruit that God could bring through this local body. Just because you don't like something, if it's biblical, if it's in line with God's word, then as a member, you have a responsibility to fully embrace it and run it out. And if you're having a hard time, grab a hold of it, have the conversation, pray about it, talk about it, get on board. But don't be the member that's hindering what God could do in this local fellowship. It's when the members were in unity. So I want to encourage you and challenge you as a close this morning. Be a contributor, not a consumer. Don't just show up. Don't just show up and see what's going on. Invest yourself. Be a part. Be a contributor like that we see in the first church. Not only that, be an attractor, not a detractor. Be someone that, that, that helps bring people to the Lord, not deters them from ever considering it and be a team player not a team critic if you got a problem if there's a concern if there's a critique there's a way to share that but don't let it just sit in your life and keep you from being a team player being a fully invested member so that god can do what god does through fully unified churches let me ask you this if the lord returned right now this moment and he judged your heart where it's at right now in this service your submission to the leaders of this church your all inness for him for his church this church his kingdom what would the lord find if he judged your heart right now would he find your submission your commitment and service is unrivaled in this world like this first church they had lives they had families they had all these things but their submission, commitment, and service was unrivaled in the world. And that's why God was doing what God was doing in that church. Or if God judged your heart right now, in this moment, in this instant, would he find that you're hindering what he could do and what he would do? Because your submission, commitment, and service is unrivaled to the world 
I want to challenge you. Do your part. Be all in. Be unified. Let's see 2021 be the most fruitful that we've ever known for the kingdom. As I said earlier, if your heart's not broken for souls, I beg you today, don't just listen to these words. Take, take the opportunity. Be honest with God. God, I don't have a broken heart for souls. I just kind of live my life and go about it, and, and I don't think about my lost neighbors. I don't pray for them. I don't try to reach them. I don't pray about lost people that I encounter on a daily basis. I don't pray to see them as souls. I don't do any of those things. I just kind of live my life, do my thing, and I'm completely oblivious and have no brokenness over the loss. I'm begging you today, pray that God would change that in you. And let's see a church come together around the Lord Jesus Christ and his mission and see him pour out great favor and blessings. And many, many souls come to the Lord this year. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for the challenge that you give us and the example that you give us in your word this morning. And uh, Lord, we see just in a few verses that uh, this church wasn't a perfect church by far. We've already seen issues and mistakes and we've seen uh, your, your hand in, in dealing with that. And uh, we know that they were people Again, as we talked about Peter, that you chose and installed. And, but this church was together. It says it in, in, in your word. They were unified. They were in harmony. And they were striving for the same thing. And I pray that we would do that. Yeah, that we would be all in. That we'd be unified. And that our hearts would be broken for the lost. That we would be sensitive every day to look for opportunities uh, to share the gospel. Lord, that we would see more people added to your kingdom through this church uh, than we ever have before. Lord, help us now as we respond, and I pray that you'll move in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he plays, I want to encourage you to come.